This podcast is supported by Evernorth Health Services. Tonight on 360, all aboard in New Hampshire just four days before the primary, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott is expected to endorse the former president, snubbing former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and becoming the latest Republican of many to fall in line. More breaking news tonight, a new Georgia court filing adding to the controversy over the Trump special prosecutor, the DA, Fonnie Willis, who hired him and allegations of an improper relationship between the two. And later, Alec Baldwin and how he came to be charged with involuntary manslaughter again today after similar charges were dropped last year in the deadly shooting on a New Mexico movie set. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. Within the next hour or so, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott is expected to endorse the former president, who's been working to establish himself after just one contest as the inevitable nominee. To that point, Senator Scott and his fellow Republican lawmakers are certainly helping. And it shows in how early and eagerly they've been falling in line compared to the first Trump campaign. On February 28, 2016, then Alabama's Senator Jeff Sessions became the first Republican senator to endorse then-candidate Trump. This was after Trump victories in New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. Now, this time around, the endorsements have been coming earlier, in some cases much earlier. Most recently, Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. Senator Rick Scott gave his nod before any votes were cast back in November. That's slow compared to Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who got on board almost a year before that on the 17th of November, 2022. We'll have more on what this says about the former president and his party in a moment, but first ends Elena Treen at the New Hampshire Trump event where Senator Scott will give his expected endorsement. So what do we know about this event tonight? Yeah, well, this is a huge pickup for Donald Trump Anderson. And in typical Trump fashion, they are trying to make this potential uh, or this expected Tim Scott endorsement a moment. We saw the senator uh, tease this endorsement earlier today. He tweeted a photo um, right before boarding the private plane that Trump flies on and flying with him to New Hampshire for this event tonight. And I'm told uh, that during his remarks, Trump will call the senator up to the stage and have him give remarks and praise the former president president and call for four more years of Donald Trump. But I think, you know, what's important to note here, Anderson, is how this came together. Donald Trump and his team, according to my conversations with his campaign, have really pursued Tim Scott for this endorsement ever since he dropped out of the presidential race last year. And they were really hoping that he would uh, give his endorsement before South Carolina. But uh, in recent weeks, as Trump and his team have closely watched Nikki Haley rise in the polls here in New Hampshire, they accelerated that timeline as uh, just another way to try and undercut her momentum here in the Granite State. It's certainly a blow for Ambassador Haley, who was instrumental in Tim Scott's career. What's been the reaction from from her? And is it clear how this endorsement could impact not just New Hampshire, but also South Carolina primaries? Yeah, well, it's definitely a big blow. I mean, she was governor, and while she was governor, she was the one who actually appointed Tim Scott to the Senate in 2012. But uh, we did hear her respond to this. Uh, She issued a statement to CNN earlier today where she said, quote, it's interesting that Trump's lining up with all the Washington insiders when he claimed he wanted to drain the swamp. But the fellas are going to do what the fellas are going to do. Now, uh, we've seen Haley use this language before, Anderson, and she really tried to use this to take a shot at Donald Trump and claim that he's not uh, the outsider that he paints himself to be, but really just part of the boys club in Washington. Now, uh, we also heard from New Hampshire Governor Kristen Nunu. He was also pretty dismissive of this. He said uh, to reporters today, quote, if anyone cared about Tim Scott, he'd still be running 
for president. But, you know, to just answer your part to the second question, Anderson, this endorsement is very important because uh, the Trump team does see this as showing that he's likely to do very well in the state. And uh, it's such an important state to win for Donald Trump, not just because it's Haley's home state, um, but also because they really see South Carolina as the place where the race will change, where that Trump campaign can effectively uh, really end the primary season and try to lock up the GOP nomination months before the July uh, national convention. Elena Treen, thanks so much. I want to get perspective now on the way Republicans are falling in, in line. Joining us is former Republican political consultant uh, Stuart Stevens. His most recent book is The Conspiracy to End America, Five Ways My Old Party is Driving Our Democracy to Autocracy. Also with a CNN political analyst and former Obama special advisor, Van Jones. Stuart, how big of a boon is this for the, the, the Trump campaign, the Scott endorsement, and how big a blow to, to Nikki Haley? Well, look, I, I think endorsements generally don't matter much. But when it's somebody that you appointed and is you know, the other senator from your home state, I think it does matter. Um, likewise, I think you always have to flip these things. Would it be really good for Nikki Haley if Tim Scott was on the stage endorsing her tonight? Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Um, you know, this is just part of a complete collapse of the Republican Party, in my view. These senators who, a lot of them, uh, issued very strong statements uh, after January 6th, and yet now they're falling in line, while at the same time, a, a New York court has found Donald Trump liable of rape. It's really just inconceivable to me that this has happened to the Republican Party. But the reason Donald Trump is winning is because he is giving Republicans what they want. Nobody is making anybody vote for Donald Trump. And he's running away with this, probably unlike anything in modern history. He's really performing like an incumbent president. We should point out it was a New York court uh, saying sexual abuse uh, that the former president uh, had uh, did. Finn, wh what does that say to you that, that Senator Scott chose the former president over Haley? Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's sad. It's a sad day. Uh, eight years ago, February, uh, Marco Rubio was running and he was on stage and he, it was Marco Rubio. It was Tim Scott. It was Nikki Haley. And as a Democrat, you saw that picture, an African-American, a Latino and an Asian. Um, there it is right there. And, and, and you were shocked. You're like, holy crap, is this the new face of the Republican Party? Democrats are in trouble. If you had said eight years later that Donald Trump would be the face of the party and Rubio and Scott would like it and would be happy to pile on against uh, Nikki Haley while she's being slammed with racist innuendos from Donald Trump, you said, no way. That, that would be some crazy Twilight Zone Black Mirror episode. It's impossible. This Republican Party is moving in a positive direction. And yet here you are eight years later. Uh, with a, this, it's, it's a clown show. How can a Tim Scott, uh, who represents decency, uh, who represents uh, civility, uh, throw Nikki Haley under the bus in this way to stand next to Donald Trump? There is something really bad happening in that party, uh, and it's, it's distressing. Stuart, last year when Ambassador Haley was preparing to launch her campaign, you wrote a New York Times op-ed, and I want to read a quote from it because I remember this. You said, no political figure better illustrates the tragic collapse of the modern Republican Party than Nikki Haley. Her rise and fall only highlights what many of us already knew. Mr. Trump didn't change the Republican Party. He revealed that Ms. Haley, for all her talents, embodies the moral failure of the party in its drive to win at any cost, a drive so ruthless and insistent that it has transformed the GOP into an autocratic movement. I'm wondering what you make of her and Trump going at each other in recent days, because, I mean, I remember the stuff Nikki Haley was saying when President Trump was first running or, or when then candidate Trump right. was running back in 2016. I mean, she was 
She was incredibly, incredibly tough on him, uh, just categorically. I mean, she was linking him with the KKK. Yeah, I mean, Van's exactly right. That event that they had in South Carolina, just think if she had held true, she could be running for president now saying, you know, I thought that Donald Trump would not be a good president. I did not expect him to attempt to overthrow the government of the United States and refuse to accept a not very close election. I, I was right. The party has gone in the wrong direction. We must save it. Instead, she just folded, um, like the entire party has. And, and this is why I say that Donald Trump has revealed the party, uh, not changed it, because I just don't think people abandon deeply held beliefs in a few years. So if Nikki Haley really believed that, I mean, she said that Donald Trump was everything I taught my children not to be. And now she, she's going to end up endorsing him for president. She's already raised her hand in a debate and said she'd endorse him even if he was convicted. And what is just amazing is they're running this campaign. You can be given no greater gift in a campaign to run against somebody who's denied anyone in counts of indictment. And they won't even bring it up on stage. I mean, how serious are you about winning if you don't say, oh, by the way, my opponent's got 91 counts. Um, instead, it's all this stylistic stuff, or like he's a Washington insider. I mean, it, it's just absolutely... The, the, Van, the problem with unimaginable yeah. is that it's difficult to imagine. And that's Van, what's playing out. Do, how much of this Tim Scott is, uh, endorsement, do you think, is about him, you know, maybe wanting to get reelected as a senator and needs the support of, of, of all the folks who Trump has the uh, support uh, by? Uh, and how much is him wanting to be vice president? Well, you know, it, it sounds like you're saying he, he might be somewhat political here. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I would say the answer to your question is yes. It has to do with both. Um, look, uh, for, to, to give him his due, uh, Donald Trump right now looks like a runaway train. And to try to stand in front of a runaway train uh, maybe not be advisable from your political handlers and, and, and directors. And so um, I, I imagine he wants to be considered to be vice president. He'd certainly, uh, if he came out against Donald Trump, it might, uh, he might have to deal with a Trump uh, challenger in, in a primary. But, you know, Tim Scott also could just not say nothing. <laughs> I mean, the, he... You're, you're literally in a situation, let's not forget, where Donald Trump is, you know, using her uh, foreign-sounding name, uh, saying that uh, you know, she can't run for president because her parents weren't born here. Uh, the same kind of crap that he pulled with Obama. This is really bad stuff. This is not good stuff. One of the great things about Tim Scott is, you know, he stood up to, to President Trump on some of this stuff, you know, after massacres and stuff like that. And that's a part of why I think uh, there's a deep well of affection for him in the black community, even though he is in a different party than most of us. But this is not the time, uh, while Donald Trump is pulling out all the old nasty race cards, uh, to stand next to him uh, today. Stand next to him tomorrow if you want to. But I think it's just, it's, it's very, very surprising to see Tim Scott do this because who he is uh, is a decent man, a decent human being. Mm -hmm. What he stands for is that. Uh, today is a weird moment for Tim Scott, I think. Van Jones, Stuart Stevens, thank you. Joining us now, someone who, safe to say, will not be getting on the Trump train anytime soon. Someone who, in fact, has been pleading with Republicans for months to break with the former president. CNN senior political commentator, former Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, one of two Republicans who served on the House January 6th committee. So, Congressman, you overlapped Tim Scott in the House before Nikki Haley appointed him to the Senate. Are you surprised he's endorsing Trump and doing it now? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I was shaking my head the whole time, uh, you know, that Van and Stuart were talking uh, in agreement. Uh, I, you know, I never expected this from Tim. I, I know him, as Van said, as a decent man, as somebody that's concerned about character. 
but he chose to put himself and his political career above his character, as so many other people have. I mean, you know, it was implied by Stewart. Maybe he even said it like Nikki Haley appointed Tim Scott to the Senate. She made him a U.S. senator where he could then become a national figure and then launch his campaign for president that failed. And uh, and he could have waited till after New Hampshire, at least give it New Hampshire. But there is something that's going on in people's soul where it's like, as the Bible says, you know, what is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? There's people that are just wanting to gain the world right now. And Donald Trump has done a, a masterful job of convincing people that they can't stand up against him. And so they won't. How much of it do you think is, I mean, voluntary and how much of strong arm tactics by, you know, the team of the former president? Well, I mean, it's probably strong arm tactics in that, you know, it's saying, hey, do you want to get reelected when you're up? I don't know when Tim's up. I don't think it's this year. Uh, do you want to be considered for vice president? I actually think Tim Scott could very well be on on uh, Trump's shortlist for vice president. But a lot of it is just in his mind sitting there saying, I don't want to stand in front of the train. I want to have a political future. I mean, I've been in these positions where I, you know, there's times I should have taken on the president and I didn't. There's times I did and I knew what the cost was because you recognize like I'm going to be out of the game if I take this too much because he's convinced his base. Donald Trump is a masterful victim. He is actually one of the weakest men you'll ever meet. He's actually somebody that is scared of his own shadow and he's frankly scared of everybody. But he puts up a really good front that he's not and he puts up what appears to be a tough front and it cajoles people like Tim Scott to not even wait till after New Hampshire. Give Nikki a shot to actually take it to New Hampshire. I don't think this is going to affect her in New Hampshire too much. The one thing it does do is it shows momentum and Donald Trump's been doing, I'll objectively say, a good job of showing momentum. And it's actually pretty disheartening. Ambassador Haley told a member of the public today that being Trump's vice president is, quote, off the table. It was something she hadn't been willing to say previously. Um, given, I mean, do you think that's just because she realized she's no longer in the running for that? I don't know. She should have said this a long time ago, by the way. She's been asked this question many times before. Um, and I guarantee you, if Donald Trump called her after she drops out and said, do you want to be vice president? She would do it. But I think she's starting here now in New Hampshire a little bit to take him on more. The problem is we really need to reverse the clock back to August or September, whenever the first debate was. And that's when those people running for president needed to be taking on Donald Trump, not three days out from New Hampshire. They needed to be doing it then. So look, I mean, I doubt that Donald Trump will ask her to be his vice president, but I'm going to tell you, if he did, she would say yes in a heartbeat, I think. Yeah. Adam Kinziger, thanks. Coming up next, breaking news that no one bringing a criminal case against the former president would welcome. Fulton County, Georgia DA Fonnie Willis tonight facing a new investigation hours after court records showed that her lead prosecutor paid for her out-of-state travel with him. Also, the former president's newest effort to get E. Jean Carroll's civil damages case against him thrown out his latest mistrial motion ahead. All There Is with Anderson Cooper is supported by Evernorth Health Services. Grief is a human experience. Shouldn't the care we receive feel human too? That's why Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support anytime, in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure that they get the help that they need. So no matter what stage of grief your employees may be in, there's always a person ready to listen. Stressful times can lead many to bottle up complex feelings, especially at work. 59% of those suffering say nothing. 
This can have unexpected and serious mental and physical health implications. And with Evernorth's data-driven risk monitoring tools, they can help spot challenges early and step in to guide individuals to care before they undergo any more suffering. Each person's grief is as unique as they are, which is why Evernorth offers a wide range of personalized behavioral solutions to meet the needs of every member that they serve. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. All there is with Anderson Cooper is supported by Evernorth Health Services. Grief is a human experience. Shouldn't the care we receive feel human too? That's why Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support anytime, in person or virtually, with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure that they get the help that they need. So no matter what stage of grief your employees may be in, there's always a person ready to listen. Stressful times can lead many to bottle up complex feelings, especially at work. 59% of those suffering say nothing. This can have unexpected and serious mental and physical health implications. And with Evernorth's data-driven risk monitoring tools, they can help spot challenges early and step in to guide individuals to care before they undergo any more suffering. Each person's grief is as unique as they are, which is why Evernorth offers a wide range of personalized behavioral solutions to meet the needs of every member that they serve. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. More breaking news tonight in the major case against the former president that's turning into a major mess. Late today in Atlanta, Fulton County Commissioner launched a probe into allegations that District Attorney Fonnie Willis misused county funds and, quote, accepted valuable gifts and personal benefits from the special prosecutor that she hired to prosecute the case. His name is Nathan Wade. He and D.A. Willis are already facing allegations of having an improper relationship, including from the former president. And the county commissioner's announcement tonight follows the revelation in a divorce proceeding that Wade paid for Willis to travel with him on out-of-state trips. So CNN's Caitlin Poland joins us now with more. So what did you learn from the court filing in this special prosecutor's divorce case? Well, this divorce case is really becoming juicy because it's giving us insight into the district attorney, Fonnie Willis. That's why it's of interest. So Jocelyn Wade, the woman who two years ago said she was going to be divorcing Nathan Wade, the top prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia. He also agreed to this divorce two years ago. Now Jocelyn Wade is openly accusing Nathan Wade of having uh, essentially a relationship with Fonnie Willis, the DA, and she says that she wants to know in more information from Fonnie Willis, such as uh, this information about trips that they may have taken that Nathan Wade would have been paying for, what he is making from the district attorney's office, because that's all relevant to the divorce. Her argument is that they need to divide assets, and she doesn't know how much money he has that he's making, and so she wants information. She wants to even depose district attorney Fonnie Willis as soon as next week. And has the DA made any comment? The DA has made a comment in this divorce proceeding. She stepped up in court and said, I want to not be deposed next week. There's nothing that I have here that is relevant to this divorce proceeding that's been going on for two years. So the district attorney, Fonnie Willis, says 
in a recent filing that Jocelyn Wade, soon to be ex-wife of Nathan Wade, the top prosecutor, is using the legal process to harass and embarrass D.A. Willis, and in doing so, is obstructing and interfering with an ongoing criminal prosecution. Of course, Nathan Wade is the top prosecutor on the Trump case with all these other defendants. There's clearly a political problem that is bubbling up in that case that is drawing attention. And uh, D.A. Willis also says in her filing that she is wondering if Jocelyn Wade might be working with some of these criminal defendants, or at least one of them, who's tried to drag this proceeding into the criminal case around election interference uh, and and see if there's some sort of conspiracy there between them where they're trying to smear her. So Fulton County commissioners launched an inquiry into the matter. What, where does that stand? Yeah, that is the news that we just learned of today, this evening. And it is a Republican commissioner in Fulton County who is serving on an audit board. He's the chair of the audit board, and he has requested information from D.A. Willis. The question for him boils down to, is there a misuse of county funds here? Now, we don't know what he'll be able to get out of that. It's unclear at this time if he's really going to have the power to dig into this, at least as much as the divorce proceedings could dig into this. But at the end of the day, Anderson, we should be watching what happens in the divorce proceeding, as well as what happens in court in this election interference case. There's set to be a hearing in the middle of February about this, if there are any specific ethical issues or any conflicts of interest that really should be weighing in on that. And we just don't know yet if there is something that could affect D.A. Willis's ability to continue prosecuting this case and having Nathan Wade work on it as well. Caitlin Polans, thanks so much. Joining us now, CNN senior legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. So, um, A, what do you make of these allegations, Ellie? Well, Anderson, there are some real problems here for the DA, but I think it's also really important to differentiate what matters legally from what does not matter. I'm not so concerned with the nature of the relationship between DA Willis and Mr. Wade. It doesn't really matter to me looking at this legally if they're having a romantic relationship or not. What does there's matter no, to there's me no is legal the ramification. And the conflict there's of no legal there's no legal ramification if they were having a relationship. I mean, as a, she hired him, is there some sort of employer problem? Well, so, so right. So this gets into the potential conflict of interest in the money where there could be an issue. So first of all, there's a genuine question about Mr. Wade's qualifications here. He's been a lawyer for a long time. His primary area of practice before this was personal injury and traffic law. He's never prosecuted a felony case, a felony criminal case before, and yet now suddenly he's leading the biggest criminal case in the history of this office. And when we look at the money here, Mr. Wade is one of three outside attorneys who's being brought in on a contract basis to work with the DA. Nothing uncommon about that. But if we look at the amount of money that's been paid to these three lawyers over the last two years, one of them's made $73,000, one of them's made $90,000, and Mr. Wade has been paid $650 plus thousand dollars. That's an enormous discrepancy. And Anderson, if some of that money is making its way back to the DA, whether through trips or hotel or other entertainment or arrangements, then you have a problem with a conflict of interest. Could any of this lead to legal sanctions uh, against her or the lead prosecutor? And, and what would be the ramifications if she had to leave the case? Does that matter in terms of the case moving forward? 
against the former president? Yeah, so I do not think this is going to be a basis to dismiss the charges against Donald Trump or any of the other defendants in this case. It does not have to do with the merits of the charges against Donald Trump. It does not have to do with any of the defendants' constitutional rights. However, I think we could see a couple of outcomes here. If there's a conflict of interest, then yes, the DA could be disqualified from this case for a conflict of interest. And then there's the next question about, would that mean her whole office is disqualified? Meaning the case would probably have to move to a neighboring DA's office. And then second of all, there's the question about just what this does for the public confidence in this case, public confidence matters to prosecutors. And if there's a glaring co conflict of interest and problems with money like this, you can bet it's going to undermine public confidence. And Willis already tried to squash a, a subpoena calling her to testify next week in this divorce case, accusing his estranged wife of trying to ruin her reputation and obstructing the election interference case. Uh, I mean, if she has nothing to hide, why not be deposed? I think the DA is far out of line here. She receives a subpoena in a divorce case. A subpoena is not an accusation. A subpoena means you're a witness who has relevant information. Clearly, she has information about Mr. Wade, about his finances, about whatever his current relationships may be. And the way the DA responded to that is she took the criminal case against Donald Trump and injected that into the divorce case, trying to use it as a shield from her having to testify. She clearly has relevant information. And I think it's very improper for her to say, well, you're trying to interfere with this criminal case. That's the DA who's using the criminal case as a shield. And, and I think she's wrong there. And it isn't the first time that Willis has faced questions about possible conflicts. There was a judge barred her office from investigating the Georgia Lieutenant Governor for his role in the fake elector scheme because she held a fundraiser for his eventual opponent. At, at, at some point, I mean, do, I mean her judgment uh, is been called into question before. Yeah, and I think fairly, Anderson, the incident you're referring to, the DA hosted a fundraiser for the political opponent of a person who she subpoenaed and the judge, a different judge who was overseeing the grand jury, disqualified Fonnie Willis from that portion of the case. And this is a judge who'd been very supportive of Fonnie Willis. He said to her on the record, and I quote, what were you thinking? And he said, it's very poor optics. I do think there's genuine reason to question the DA's judgment on these matters of conflict of interest. Look, she ran for, and she holds an enormously powerful position. She's the chief law enforcement officer of a Thank very you. large yeah. county in Georgia. And I think she needs to hold herself to a higher level of professional ethics and responsibility. And she's causing problems for herself and potentially for this case. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Ellie Honig, thanks. Coming up, while the former president has often turned courtroom appearances at his second defamation trial into campaign stops, the heart of this civil court case is what a jury found in that first trial that he sexually abused writer Eugene Carroll. A closer look at last year's jury decision that serves as a foundation of this current trial. That's next. So two major developments in the former president's second defamation trial involving writer Eugene Carroll to tell you about where a verdict is likely next week. Sources late today saying that Trump is likely to appear in court again Monday, which would be the third time he's attended the trial. He, of course, does not have to appear, but as we've noted, has become a part of his unofficial campaign schedule. Also today, his legal team once again demanded a mistrial. This was over some emails deleted by Carroll they claim are crucial. Now, earlier in the week, as we told you before, the judge denied the motion almost immediately after it was raised. Now, sometimes getting lost in this trial is the jury decision last year that underpins the current trial, that Donald J. Trump was guilty of sexual abuse. Kara Scannell has more on that. It happened nearly three decades ago in a New York department store. Advice columnist E. Jean Carroll says she was leaving Bergdorf Goodman when she ran into Donald Trump. He said, come advise me. I want to buy a present. 
I said, oh, for who? He said, for a girl. So I was enchanted. Carol says they went to the lingerie department on the sixth floor and joked about who should try on a sheer bodysuit. She followed Trump into a dressing room. That's when she said a lighthearted encounter turned into a life-changing assault. The minute I was in there, he shut the door and pushed me up against the wall and bang, bang my head on the wall and kissed me. I just, it was so shocking. She says Trump pinned her to the wall and pulled down her tights. That was when it turned serious. I realized that this was, this was, this was a fight. Carol says she fled the store and largely kept the 1996 encounter secret. It wasn't until June 2019 when she shared the story publicly. New York Magazine ran an excerpt from her new memoir. Trump has continued to deny the encounter happened and even knowing Carol. I have no idea who this woman is. This is a woman who's also accused other men of things, as you know. Uh, it is a totally false accusation. Carol first sued Trump in 2019 for defamation, but for years he successfully tied the case up in litigation. In 2022, under New York State's Adult Survivors Act, she filed a second lawsuit against Trump, this time for battery and defamation. That case went to trial last year. Trump didn't appear in court, but his video deposition was played before the jury, where he denied raping Carol. She said that I did something to her that never took place. There was no anything. I know nothing about this nut job. He even mistook Carol in a photo for his second wife, Marla Maples. That's Marla. Yeah, that's, that's my wife. Which woman are you pointing to? No. Here. And when questioned about it, he defended the infamous Access Hollywood tape, where Trump was caught off camera making lewd remarks about women. This is very old news, fully litigated during debates, during everything else, fully litigated. Okay. And you know what I said then, and I say it now? Locker room talk. That was locker room talk. The jury ultimately found that Trump did sexually abuse Carol and defame her. They awarded Carol $5 million. But Trump didn't stop. One day after the verdict at a CNN town hall, Trump repeated his statements. And I swear, and I've never done that. And I swear to I have no idea who the hell, she's a Mr. whack President. job. Carol updated her 2019 lawsuit, now seeking more than $10 million for Trump's repeated verbal attacks and denials. Meanwhile, the former president is squeezing in court appearances to his packed campaign schedule. His attorneys say he may testify next week. Hello, New Hampshire. Kara Scannell, CNN, New York. Joined now by conservative attorney George Conway. So, George, can you just remind our viewers of how you met E. Jean Carroll and what role you played in her decision to sue the former president? Yeah, I met her one day in 2019, I guess it was, right after, about a week or two after uh, the report of her, her story came out and the book came out and the excerpt in New York Magazine came out. And I had written a piece in the Washington Post talking about how, um, how if anyone believed Juanita Broderick, uh, who made the claims against Bill Clinton that, uh, that Donald Trump trumpeted during the 2016 campaign, then they should really believe uh, Jean Carroll as well, because she actually had witnesses who she told about the event right after it happened. And I thought that, you know, it was, it was pretty compelling and pretty persuasive. And I ran into Jean Carroll just by happenstance at a cocktail party in Manhattan a few days after writing that piece. And she came up to me and introduced herself and thanked me for writing the piece in the Washington Post. And, 
and asked, you know, some people are saying I should sue. Do you think you think I have a claim? And I said, yes. I mean, immediately it took it took basically no thinking. It's like it, he's, he's lying about you. And that's a defamation. That's that's defamation claim. And then about 10 seconds later, I I thought, oh, I know precisely the lawyer who should be handling this, uh, an excellent lawyer who would become a friend of mine, uh, uh, Robbie Kaplan, who had who has been since since that day representing her. And that's that's how I got to know Jean Carroll. And that's kind of how she met. That's how she met uh, her lawyer. And, and the rest is what we have now. Yeah, as you know, Alina Hobb, the former president's attorney, questioned Carol this week about her association with you, asked if you would planted the seed for her to sue the former president. Does it matter in any legal sense who, if anyone, advises a plaintiff to file a lawsuit? No, no, not at all. And it came out in the first trial. I mean, in fact, uh, E. Jean's lawyers brought that out just so that you know, there's no no secret there, no nothing to hide there. But it's also it's also completely irrelevant. But some, for some reason, uh, Trump and his counsel uh, seem obsessed with that fact, and they they brought it up consistently again and again in the first trial to the point where the judge had to tell them to stop. And then they did it. They're they're doing it again this week. Um, I'm kind of flattered by it, but it's all it, it's just kind of bizarre, frankly. What do you what do you make of how Trump has handled this phase of the case? Well, I mean, look, I think that this whole case is um, something of a microcosm uh, of, of, of his, frankly, his, his, his mental state. Um, no, his tendency to lie and lie again, his tendency to attack. I mean, you know, he, he, lied, about, he lied about the fact that he never met her when, in fact, there was a photograph that came out. Of, of her with him in 2019, uh, uh, no, in, 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 ni- in the 1990s. He then lies about, uh, uh, about, about what happened. Um, he, li- he then lies about, about uh, he says that uh, she, she, she's not his type. He said that in, in, in 2019. And it turns out then he confuses her, as, as, you, as you saw, as, as that excerpt showed, uh, for his former wife, Marla Le- Maples, uh, which means that, you know, you know, she must have been his type. And it's just, it's just the craziness of it all. And then the fact that he continually, after being found to have defamed her, and after a jury found that, um, you know, that, 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 that he raped her, um, he's then continually to assert that, you know, it didn't happen again and again. And he's doing it outside the courtroom. And it's just, it's crazy. It, it, inside the courtroom, his lawyers are trying to minimize uh, what he did and minimize what happened. And yet he's, he's repeating the lies over and over again and repeating the defamation, which completely defeats uh, what his lawyers are trying to, what his lawyers trying to do inside the courthouse. It's crazy. George Conway, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next, Alec Baldwin, charged for a second time in the fatal Rust movie set shooting. We'll tell you why and what the actor's attorneys are saying about the case ahead. Grief is a human experience, and the care we receive should be too. Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure they get the help they need. There's always a person there guiding your employees using data-driven risk monitoring tools so bottled-up feelings don't turn into further suffering. With Evernorth's wide range of behavioral solutions, care can be personalized, simple, and more accessible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. 
It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Grand jury in New Mexico has indicted actor Alec Baldwin on charges of involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors once again trying to hold him criminally accountable for the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins with a prop gun on the Rust movie set nearly three years ago. Similar charges, you may remember, were dropped against Baldwin last spring, with prosecutors saying they could not proceed with the evidence they had at the time. Then in October, they said they had new facts. With more in the case, I want to go to CNN's Josh Campbell. So what more do we know about this indictment? Anderson, so if this sounds familiar to viewers, it's because it is. We've seen this before. This is now the second round of charges that have been filed against actor Alec Baldwin. And just to walk viewers through the timeline, he was previously indicted in January of 2023 on very similar involuntary manslaughter charges. Those charges were dropped because prosecutors at the time said that there was an issue with a piece of evidence. A law enforcement source told me that evidence was the gun itself that was used in that shooting. There were questions about whether it had been modified, which raised questions about its liability as a piece of evidence. Interestingly, FBI analysts determined that that gun could not have fired without someone pulling the trigger. Alec Baldwin, for his part, uh, has long proclaimed his innocence. He said he did not pull the trigger on that weapon. Nevertheless, we're uh, learning today this grand jury in New Mexico issuing this indictment. Two uh, counts here. I'll read you. It's involuntary manslaughter, negligent use of a firearm, involuntary manslaughter without due caution or circumspection. All of that getting to, uh, again, negligent there is the question about how a live round of ammunition got on the set to begin with. Uh, but it appears that these uh, new prosecutors who are working this case filing very similar charges to what were filed before Anderson. And you previously interviewed a prosecutor in the case about the culture on the set. What did she say? Yeah, so this was the district attorney who brought that original set of charges. Uh, CNN, we interviewed her in her first interview after that indictment. And what she said was there was this culture of negligence. You know, we'd been reporting here at CNN on this story about accidental discharges on the set previously, about members of the set who uh, described feeling unsafe in and around uh, the making of this movie. I should mention the producers of the movie, to include Baldwin, have, have denied all of that. But take a listen here to this interview about what they found as part of this investigation and what ultimately led them at the time to file charges. There was such a lack of safety and safety standards on that set um, that there were live rounds on set. They were mixed in with regular dummy rounds. Nobody was checking those, or at least they weren't checking them consistently. And then they somehow got loaded into a gun, handed off to Alec Baldwin. He didn't check it. He didn't do any of the things that he was supposed to do to make sure that he was safe or that anyone around him was safe. And then he pointed the gun at Helena Hutchins and he pulled the trigger. And again, Team Baldwin disputing all of that, this culture, as well as the fact that he uh, pulled the trigger on the gun. They say that they will fight these charges, Anderson. What happens next in the case? So in the state of New Mexico, what happens next is what's called the first appearance. Uh, that could happen either in person. Alec Baldwin could be summoned from New York to actually travel to New Mexico. They might handle that uh, by video conference as they, as they did the last time. Uh, when that occurred, we didn't hear or see Baldwin. All this was handled by his attorneys. But this will be very interesting to watch because after that initial set of charges, we heard from numerous legal experts on this case raising that main question that we all had. You know, if there's an actor who is handed a gun and told that this gun is empty, 
safety. Is he liable uh, for uh, whatever happens after that? Now, prosecutors appear to say yes. This grand jury said yes, that he should be indicted. But of course, we'll have to wait and see uh, how what happens uh, next. Uh, we did get a statement in today from Baldwin's attorney. Very short statement saying they look forward to their day in court, Anderson. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Josh. Coming up, our Harry Enton is in Buffalo to watch his beloved Bills play in this weekend's NFL playoff game. He asked if we could send him. We said sure, at least as far as the parking lot. He has our NFL cold weather playoff preview next. Any diehard Buffalo Bills fans looking to earn $20 an hour should head to Buffalo, where the Bills are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs, one of four NFL playoff games this weekend. More heavy snow is forecast for the area. The Bills are paying that $20 an hour to diehard fans to help clean up the mess so the show can go on. As you can see here, a lot uh, have already uh, showed up. I'm certainly not a football guy or really a sports person in general, though I'm trying to learn. So we sent our resident Bills superfan, Harry Enton, to Buffalo to explain what's going on, to soak it all in, and it seems it's suffering the cold a bit. He's hanging out in the parking lot at Highmark Stadium, where his beloved Bills play. So um, I know you're emotionally invested in Sunday's game. Are you going to spend the next two days in the Bills parking lot shoveling or getting pumped up for the game, as they say? Look, Anderson, where else would you rather be than right here, Right now, as you mentioned, the bills are giving twenty dollars. Well, I'm actually in Los Angeles and quite happy to be some... here because it's lovely and quite warm. Oh, come on, come on, Anderson, come join me in the cold here in Buffalo, actually Orchard Park, a suburb of Buffalo. I got myself a shovel. I tried to get in there, but there have already been hundreds, if not more than a thousand, folks who showed up here to try and shovel. Of course, this is all ahead of the game on Sunday, and I'll also note. As a weather aficionado, a snowhound who went to weather camp, the combination of snow and Buffalo Bills football, there is nothing that gets me more joyous. It's almost as if you are the Make-A-Wish Foundation for skinny Jews from the Bronx, Anderson. Didn't you go to space camp also? Or was it just weather camp? I, I have... I. I visited space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, but I've never been to space camp. But maybe that's the next trip for me. We can all go down to Huntsville, Alabama together. So what, what's the what's the uh, the over and under? I don't know if that's a term. What what should we expect from the, the game this weekend? Yeah. Is it, is it the yeah. So they're playing the they Kansas say? City Chiefs. Uh, yeah. The over, that's a that's a betting term. I, I will tell you that the Bills are favored by two and a half points over the Kansas City Chiefs, or as I call them, the Kansas City Swifts. Of course, Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey, the star tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. I will note the Bills have already beaten the Chiefs in Kansas City when Taylor Swift showed up. So while I do enjoy Taylor Swift's music, as I know you do, uh, we're both Swifties at heart, I'm hoping she's probably crying at the end of Sunday because that will mean my Buffalo Bills have won. So this is the one time well, I am rooting against Taylor Swift. I'm sorry, Swifties. I got to do it. Wow. That's kind of harsh. Um, so I understand you have some questions for me. I know. I, I know. I'm sort of dreading. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, last week we did your favorite game, which is figure out the matchups, through the logos, and of course we had to do it again, backed by popular demand. So we're going to go through, through some of the games that are not the Chiefs versus the Bills. So let's start off with our first game. This is the first Saturday game. Here are the logos of the teams. Can you guess them? One you actually learned last week. Let's see if you can guess these two. Well, I, I know I learned that the one on the left last week, and I should remember it, but I don't because I'm really not interested. Um, 
And it's not the, uh, <laughs> I don't know who it is. It's the Fighting Toros. That's who it was. The Patriotic Toros. The Fighting and Toros. The, Very, I'm guessing those the are patriotic. the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, yes. Oh, See, we're getting pumped yes. up. The other team, of course, is very good. I'm rubbing off on you. It's the uh, Houston Texans against the Baltimore Ravens. Let's uh, move on okay. to matchup number two featuring a favorite team of yours. The, the, those are the, uh, the Packers. Wisconsin Packers, is that right? Yes. Why, are the, why is Green it a G? Green Bay Packers, what? close to Green Bay. Wisconsin. Okay, okay, there, got it now. Okay, and San Francisco 49ers. Yes, yes. Yes, Okay, okay. Uh, last one for you, Anderson. Let's see if you can round it up. Uh, Okay, the 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 Blue Lions. We knew. I we talked about before. Um, Oh, it's the Detroit Lions and uh, uh, the 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 fighting swashbuckling pirates. Oh, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, my God, we did it, Anderson. It is a miracle, a miracle. You got it. You've made me so proud. You've been a Make-A-Wish Foundation numerous ways tonight. God bless you, Anderson Cooper. God bless you. All right, what, are your gloves fraying? What's going on with your gloves? Okay, anyway. My gloves, I got these at Home Depot. I picked up the shovel at Home Depot. Oh, you got cash in your hand. That's what it is. All right, Harry Enton, thanks very much. Stay warm. Good luck to your bills. We'll be right back. The news continues. The Source with Caitlin Collins starts now. Have a great weekend. Grief is a human experience, and the care we receive should be too. Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure they get the help they need. There's always a person there, guiding your employees using data-driven risk monitoring tools so bottled-up feelings don't turn into further suffering. With Evernorth's wide range of behavioral solutions, care can be personalized, simple, and more accessible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. Grief is a human experience, and the care we receive should be too. Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure they get the help they need. There's always a person there guiding your employees using data-driven risk monitoring tools so bottled-up feelings don't turn into further suffering. With Evernorth's wide range of behavioral solutions, care can be personalized, simple, and more accessible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support.